Welcome back, Rebels. Welcome back. I was on Instagram the other day and saw something that I haven't seen for a little while. The old uh, hustle culture type meme post where they were basically saying how uh, to hustle is really negative because eventually it's just going to lead you to burnout and that we have to be more considerate about how hard we're working because eventually it's going to lead to burnout. And controversial, red flag, I don't particularly agree with that sentiment um, and I think that demonizing hard work is a, is a good way to let yourself off the hook uh, god this is going to be so unpopular but I think people use those posts those oh yeah you should like all, all of these hustle bros and hustle culture and everyone talking about like get up at 5am and work hard that's that's really destructive is it destructive or is it necessary certainly in the beginning of your career to put every single thing that you have, every ounce of your being into making this thing that you want to do a success because every single other person in your field is your competition. Like literally they are your competition and you can have, you can have beautiful communities where everyone gets on really well, but like sometimes you're going to be vying for the same opportunities and pass like hustling. If we want to call it that or working hard, which I'd rather call it, is going to get you to the place where you want to be. And if it, and if you don't get to that place, then someone else is going to do that hard work and they're going to take your spot. Yeah, 100%. I completely agree with everything you're saying there. And it's something that I feel like so many of the posts that are kind of like anti-hustle culture, kind of anti-burnout, all of these different things are generally created by very privileged people who've kind of they've probably hustled and they've probably burnt out to get to where they are. And I think like the feeling of burnout doesn't feel great and it's probably one of those things that like oh we've got to the other side of it and that didn't feel great so if I could go back in time I'd try and take out all the things that didn't feel great along my way and that'd make my life a lot easier to get there but then I think when you look back it's easy to kind of like see those things and be like oh I'd love to remove them but then you couldn't be where you are without them it's like when you start anything you're starting at zero when you start an Instagram account you open it you've got zero followers when you start when you start any skill you start at zero everyone else around you who's in that same field is above zero you need to get to at least their level before you're kind of on par with them before you can even start to compete in those different fields and it's going to take work to get there and again we're not all privileged not all in a world where we have infinite time where we have infinite money to throw at stuff and sometimes especially money like all we have to do is time like if you're from a privileged background and you've got loads of money and you can hire this person to do this you can pay facebook ads you can buy all these different gadgets and stuff to kind of help you get to where you want to get to quicker like that's great for you and that is like a lot of people are in that situation and like we can't be negative towards them because that's just what they have but not everyone's in that situation so if you don't have the money all you have is time and i think that's where you need to put in more time to get up to the level that they are at which is what we call hustle. And I think that's all you can do to be able to match someone. Like the world's not a fair place, unfortunately. And sometimes we have to work harder than other people who have the money to try and get up to the same level they are. But without the hustle, it's those people who are going to win. I feel like it's the people with the money generally who are the ones who are being like anti-hustle because they haven't had to hustle to get to where they are necessarily because they've got the money to be able to shortcut them there. Yeah, it's very interesting. I had a chat with my parents recently and we were talking about the, the sort of the last 10 years and the beginning of our company. And my mom and dad, bless them, they were like, why didn't you ever ask us for any money? Like, you know, 
we would have we would have given you some money to like start your business or or wherever it might be and um like that's that's really lovely but like it didn't it wasn't ever a consideration because i think they forget that when we started the business they weren't convinced that it was going to be a success (laughs) and they were still encouraging me to go and be a primary school teacher so there's that side of it like that i didn't think that there would be any money on offer I also didn't think they had any kind of spare money that they could throw on a business. It's, a, it's very easy saying it in in retrospect, but um, but like you said, I've got uh, like I've got no problem with anyone who has the resources. Like use what is available to you, and if if you are from a rich family or whatever, don't feel guilty about that. Like don't feel guilty about using the tools that are in front of you. Like oh, you've got a job at your dad's company. Well, yeah, a lot of people get a, get jobs through nepotism. Like that's just that's just the way of the world. And hopefully once you do get your foot through the door, you can then open the door for others and you can prove yourself that you are worthy of that spot, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, it, it all comes down to, to using what's available to you. So it's like when we did start our business, I moved in with my mum and dad. Um, so, that, so they did really massively help fund the business by just putting yeah. a roof over my head and not expecting any rent from me. Um, you moved in with your girlfriend because moving home wasn't an option, and um, and like and Yonah wasn't able to move in with anyone. So when we were divvying up the pot at the end of the month, I got the least because I needed the least. You got the middle because you needed the middle, and Yonah got the most because she was still actually like actually like paying rent. So it, it was interesting seeing three of us are uh, all at different stages of like different amounts of privilege of what we could rely on, where we were coming from. I think it's interesting that you you mentioned there sort of the, the different privilege that some of us have like from from our start point and and some people have got more resources available to them in the beginning than others um and i think i mean the the two key things to building a business are going to be time or money and preferably if you've got both that's going to make your your life much easier but if you haven't got much time it's working out like how how you can leverage your life and that's going to involve sacrifices that's going to involve favors from loved ones whatever it might be to allow you to have more time to focus into making your your creative endeavor um profitable getting attention on it putting all of the hard work into it happening i think this message of hard work leading to burnout can be really destructive it's 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 not a good message because the fear of burnout like get to burnout and then see where you're at and see how long it takes you to get to burnout because like it's it's a fucking lot and i feel like these these memes are sort of like if you put a couple of months into solidly like going to bed at 2 a.m., it's going to kill you. It's like it's not. It's going to suck and your sleeping schedule is going to be fucked and it's going to be difficult and you're going to maybe not put as much time into a, a relationship with a family member or a loved one or something like that, which is, which is difficult and means that those relationships will suffer unless you've had open and honest communication about I just have don't have time for you at the moment. I've got to put this time into this thing and i mean we, we mentioned on an episode recently about being selfish it's like until you are happy in your life and career i don't think you can properly serve the others that are around you and until you're able to have those positive feelings about what you're doing i think for when, when we look at mums that we've we've interviewed on the show someone like erica lee says like she makes a painting every single day she finds the time to do that and she has i think two or three kids like she's got some kids and but for them that's what an inspiring thing to see that their mum does that and they learn through seeing her their mum working hard i I think that's like that's a great role model rather than like mum's got got time to sit and play with me and i'm not saying she doesn't play with her kids or whatever but like 
mum's got time to sit and and be with us 24 7 it's like that's that's a lovely fairy tale that yeah if we all had unlimited cash we could just sit with our loved ones and, and do nothing else but i think actually what a, a better lesson is is like enjoy the time that we do have to relax and watch a movie together or whatever it might be but, but in the meantime watch mum work like watch dad build this watch uncle go and do this thing watch your sister build an empire like like those it's really positive to actually see those things you can only do those things if you're going to be able to put that hard work in yourself like say don't work hard say don't work late nights to any new parent like these people go through this every single day like they're up all hours of the night but don't sleep much like when you start a business like the amount of times we refer to our business as our baby because it is something that requires all your time it's going to keep you up at night and but it is like a baby like for the first few years it's going to be shit like you're going to have to go through that but you get into it knowing what you're going to go through and if everyone kind of went into having a child like oh actually i don't want to have to hustle i don't want to kind of wake up in the middle of the night then like don't go into it like you know what you're going to get into before you even start it's going to be hard work but then as that kid gets to a certain age it's going to start to look after itself but it does require that kind of like love and attention in the kind of early years to actually make it grow up and be a success And you're talking about time and money there. And I think that if you don't have time or money at this specific time, then now's probably not the best time to invest everything that you don't have into something. So maybe get to a stage where you do have a bit of free time or a bit of free money or like try and like navigate your life in a way that's going to free up something somewhere. Like if you look at what we've both done in the past year and a half, like we didn't just start this with zero. We had a successful business that gave us the funds to be able to go and do the things that we were going to do. And obviously, kind of when we started, it was like we didn't both just start. No, we didn't start where we started eleven years ago in overdrafts with no money. Like we had yeah. savings, we had money coming in from the podcast. Like there was different things that we had that kind of set us up to a space where we could enter that field in a level of privilege because we'd built that up over the past ten years beforehand. And I think sometimes that's what we need to think about: is like, can we build up these things? Like it might not be something that's going to happen tomorrow. We might not be able to start the thing and go and do the thing tomorrow because it's just not feasible. We might have to go and work for in a career for a few years to build up enough money that allows us to go and kind of transition into it. Like let's do this in a safe way that's going to set us up as well as possible. Let's, if we can't do it right now, let's get that job, build up a little bit of cash and then slowly transition over a few years rather than just trying to jump all into something when we don't have anything to start with. Yeah, it's really interesting. And and it's sort of almost a little bit of hypocritical of us to give that advice, given that when we did start our business, we did just jump both feet in. Um, none of us has, none of the three of us really had any sort of significant funds to, to fall back on. Um, and, and we just went for it. And I remember, I remember specifically like certain months where we were like, we've got to get a job in this month otherwise we're going to get kicked out of this studio because we can't pay the rent there was something about that pressure to convert that was actually really quite useful to us so uh although yeah although our advice is like be safe and don't jump both feet in we did jump both feet in i think the difference there is it's just the speed that you want to achieve what you want to achieve and i think understanding that if you're going into it when you don't have much it's going to take you longer than someone who has a bit to start with like it took us 10 years to get up to a stage that we've probably done in the last year and a half just through starting with nothing compared to starting with something and I think this is where we need to not compare ourselves to other people in a certain way as well because it's like if we're starting at the same time as someone else we don't necessarily know what privilege they have and everything in those kind of situations what connections they already have before we even get started so it might seem like someone else is accelerating way quicker than we are 
but actually they might just have more funds or more something else. So I think that's where if you can see that you have more time, like if you can outwork someone, then I feel like you're going to be more successful in the long run because you'll build up the work ethic. It'll take you longer to get to the stage where they are. But once you hit that same stage, you'll accelerate past them because you've built up the work ethic along the way. And I think that's another thing that we've done so well is because we've built up that work ethic. And then once you've got the work ethic and the money to go into something, then it fucking flies. And it's like, that's something that's so important. I think that's why so many businesses go out of business because people don't have the work ethic. They just think, oh, I'm just going to throw the money at this. Like the amount of people who go into really expensive offices that just look really fancy and they're like, oh, this is, and they get all the best computers like as soon as they start a business. It's always those companies who run out of money first because they've never learned how to survive with nothing or to hustle with nothing. It's that mindset that I feel like is something that's really valuable as you're growing that sticks with you in later into your career. Yeah, it definitely does. I mean, you and I are not really scared of taking on any new projects because we know even if it goes down to zero that we've built ourselves up from the ground in the beginning anyway. So going back to there wouldn't be that bad because we remember what it was like. And it was hard, but it was not impossible. I think when it comes to burnout as well, it's like, it's interesting because I know you've burnt out a couple of times. Like I've been there when you have burnt out before. And I feel like over the past, 15 years i've pretty much been doing the same thing um and now your career is quite different and i think that was still you going through a process of finding out what you enjoyed what you loved there were definitely parts of the business that you really enjoyed but then there were parts of the business that you really didn't enjoy um and now you're doing something which technically looks really different although i can see a lot of the parallels that are things that you were doing with us before that you're now doing um and so I think that that comes down to because I because I don't think I have experienced burnout, and I think that comes down to if you are doing the thing that you really really want to be doing, hundred percent. Then I then I feel like the burnout is going to be rare, if ever. I, there's certainly is going to be tiredness, and there's certainly going to be like days where you're just like, oh my god, like what this is relentless because it is. But actually burning out and getting to the stage where like something has to change in this career. Otherwise I, I, otherwise, I can't do it anymore. Um, that I think there's a difference between the two and a lot of that comes down to your passion and your love for what you're doing. Yeah, 100%. I feel like everything you're saying now, I'm just like reflecting back on the past like 11 years. And I'm like, it's so true. Literally, every time I've burnt out, it's because stress has been built up by me just hating what I was doing. Whereas if you're in a stage like now, for the past like year and a half, I haven't had burnout at all. There's been times where I'm just like, I've just got too much work on. And I'm having to work longer hours and kind of like coming at weekends to get things done. But I'm never burnt out. I'm never so stressed that I'm like, this is awful. And I'm working as hard now as than I ever have. But it's, yeah, I don't hit that burnout because I feel like the burnout is just a flag to tell you you're not heading in the right direction. That something's wrong here and something needs to change. So I think you need to work as hard as you can to hit, to hit a point where if like hopefully you'll just never hit the burnout because you'll hopefully p- pick the right thing to start with. Unfortunately, this is the real world and not everyone picks the right thing the first time. And if we manage to kind of work so hard that we hit burnout, they'll be like, okay, this definitely isn't the right route. What is it about this that I do and don't enjoy? And then let's try and adjust and then head down another route. Let's head down that kind of, let's hustle the fuck down that route to see where we get to. If we hit burnout again, then let's pivot again and kind of eventually you'll find out where you need to get to. And that will just be by trying loads of different things. And don't think of burnout as a negative thing. Yeah, it's going to feel shit at the time, 
but it's just another lesson and we need to learn from and it is a lesson and if you don't learn from it then you're going to end up in the exact same place you were before so if you ever feel burnt out try and work out what it is and adjust to try and make your life better going forward because it's only through doing that that you're going to really find the path that's right for you yeah absolutely i i I really think that great things come from really hard work because if it was easy then everyone would be doing it and so i i yeah it was just something it was just a post i saw on instagram and i just thought this is something that i don't want people to see this and get and and it basically instill a fear into people of guys i listen to every week like they're telling me i should i'll keep learning and i should keep trying new things and i should and then to feel like but then i'm getting these warning signs over here that like that might be dangerous for me like come back to us if you do keep working really hard and learning and adapting and adjusting and like building something that you love if that causes you stress and burnout then like come and let us know but i think we're yet to interview a creative on this show that hasn't that has built something significant that hasn't put in a fuck ton of work into it and thinking that you're going to be able to have this amazing extraordinary life that you want to design for yourself that's that's going to be amazing that's going to have you producing like amazing work that's going to be having impact etc 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 and thinking you're going to be able to do it on a part-time schedule or like not really fully immersed in it i think is a, a bit of a myth and i mean someone who i know has worked absolutely fucking hard is this week's guest tori dunlap yeah, it was, it was amazing to talk to Tori. And it's like, this is someone who has worked so hard. And like the amount of content that she puts out, the amount of she produces, the amount of people that she's helping, the amount of people, the size of the community she's grown. Like this is someone who has a mission and they're going to do whatever they can to achieve it. Yeah, Tori has a real mission to to sort of redress the balance of, of how women are treated in work and when it comes to money and all of that sort of stuff. And I think she makes content under the name Her First 100K. That's the name of her podcast as well. And she made $100,000 uh, by the time she was 26 through like saving and investing and all of that sort of stuff. And she's gone on to open a multi-million dollar business since then. Uh, I think she's a really special person that's helping a lot of people. So I'm really glad we got the chance to chat. Hi, Tori. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Welcome to the show. How's it all going? I'm good. Life's good. Uh, It was very stormy here in Seattle yesterday and it seems to have cleared up. It's been raining for weeks, so it's nice to have a little bit of sunshine. I know very little about Seattle apart from the fact that it rains a lot. It's like Nirvana, Grey's Anatomy, rain. Like those and, are the three. When Starbucks? I travel, Starbucks. Yeah, Starbucks. Yep. Oh, yeah. yeah. When I was in Europe, I was just I just came back from two months two months abroad, and it was really funny because people ask, "Oh, where are you from?" And we go Seattle, and they go, "Oh, Nirvana," or they go Grey's Anatomy, or yeah, Starbucks. <laughs> so it's very funny when you realize like what your city's known for, you know, as you as you travel. So yeah, it's great. Tori, I was listening to your podcast today and you said something which is uh, sort of really scary, actually, that our impression and our attitude towards money is often ingrained in us by the time we're seven years old, by watching our parents and and people around us and how they um, behave with money. That's a pretty crazy fact. It's wild. Yeah, I mean, second grade, you know, it's it's wild when you consider how early... Uh, our money habits and our money perception is cemented both as individuals. And if you're a parent figuring out, okay, if your child's over the age of seven, they have the majority of the way they will view money for the rest of their life, unless they do some work to change it, right? If they need to change it, that's already there. It's already cemented. So 
Yeah, it's it's crazy when you start thinking, and I in that podcast episode uh, guide people through kind of a, a journaling exercise around your money beliefs or your money kind of psychological trauma, if there's any. And what I have people do is think of their first money memory. What is the first time you consciously remember thinking about money? And I think that that's really uh, it gives a really good insight as to you know how how you perceive money as an adult. Was money scarce? Was money abundant? Was it evil or was it a source for good, right? And for me, I was lucky enough for my money memory was like, I wanted to save up to go see Annie the musical because I'm a theater nerd. And like, it was a great, a great memory of my parents going like, okay, if you want something and it's not birthday or, or you know, your birthday or Christmas, you need to save for it. And so, you know, I, I have a great memory of, okay, if you want something, you save money in order to get it. I have other clients or friends where, you know, that my first money memory is not nearly as positive. So I think it, it can shed a lot of light as to how you perceive money, you know, as an adult and as you were growing up. It's really interesting because I tried to think of my first money memory and I couldn't actually think of anything. So mm. uh, I don't know what that says about me. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, and for some people, it might be when you were 12 or when you're 15 and yeah. it was your, like, you get, got a job as a teenager, right? And you're thinking about money or you wanted to go to a concert. I know that was for me when I was younger, right? I wanted to go to a concert and see a certain band yeah. and like trying to save up the money to be able to afford that. So, I mean, I certainly remember, I, I think my dad's had a big effect over me and it was something we had to unlearn with our business when we first started was he was like, work, like he's always been self-employed. He was working as a plumber and mm. he would take every job and he was always like, you've got to take everything. Um, and mm. I think that was something that that we unlearned later on is like, someone's emailing they've got some money we better like they're willing to pay us to do whatever it might be we better say yes to it um right. and sort of in recent years we've kind of worked out like that's actually a really stressful way of living with things and it keeps you on the edge and i i guess sort of um it's counterintuitive but like knowing that you're going to be okay like we've got a track record of the past 10 years there was some there were some months where we weren't able to pay ourselves but we paid our staff and then eventually we got enough in to like to pay off that debt and we paid ourselves back. So we've got enough of a track record like, OK, you're going to be fine to not have that panic of like they're emailing, they want something, we'll have to give it to them. Right. And I think it does come from scarcity, right? It's like if I don't take this client, what if there's not going to be clients, right? Or what if I don't take this money, even though they're severely undercompensating us, that might be the only money we get this month, right? So I think... That's super valid and it's something I see in a lot of people. And for me, you know, I, I was lucky enough to have parents who educated me about money and, and realized growing up that that was a privilege and that's why I started her first 100K. Um, but even, you know, having really good money habits and learning those from my parents also had a negative impact when I went out on my own as an entrepreneur because I was calling my parents who I'm really close with, you know, on the cusp of quitting my job and feeling like, okay, I think I can do this my current job is now not a healthy place to be anymore. And I really want to get out. And I have this growing business on the side and I think it can support me. I know it can support me, but this is also really scary. And I called my parents and they're like, don't, don't quit. You need that, you need that 401k. You need that health insurance. They're like, do not quit. Do everything you have to do to keep your job. And I was like, I appreciate your perspective. Uh, and then I end up quitting anyway. And that was really scary, both going out on my own, but also, you know, making a different decision than my parents who were always very like financially stable. They picked the stable option. And 
that that I'm lucky for that. That gave me, you know, a, a great life in terms of stability. My dad has always wanted to be an entrepreneur, but didn't because he needed the 401k and he needed the health insurance from, you know, for his family, for me. And and so I'm thankful they went the stable route. But for me, I was like, I, I think I, I don't think I can do that. And it was a direct contradiction to everything I've learned, everything I knew. And of course, I'm really glad I made the decision that I call them up every once in a while. And I'm like, hi, remember when you <laughs> told me to not quit? Because I'm doing great, you know, but it's, it is, it's very interesting. Even these like good narratives or these things of, yeah, like take the opportunities because you don't know when they're going to come again can also have a psychologically negative impact. So that's the stuff that you don't realize until you're, you know, grown up and trying to make your own money and trying to make your way in the world. Thinking back to that now with all your experience and all your knowledge, what would you recommend to someone who's in a similar position of like, oh, I'm not sure which way to go with things. And maybe their parents aren't the best people to ask. Like who, where would you go yeah. for that information? Well, that's the thing is, is you learn as you grow up who you go to for what advice, you know? So I love my parents, but there's plenty of, there's plenty of things I don't counsel them on. I'm not, I'm not talking to them a lot about my dating life, right? Or I'm not talking <laughs> to them necessarily about a lot of aspects of my business because, and this is not their fault. They just, they just don't know a lot of that, right? But I am going to them for other things. So you also learn who you need to go to to get the kind of support that you need. I knew for this case, I knew what my parents were going to say, which was keep your job. Don't take that risk. You need the stability of a nine to five. And, you know, I, I knew that I needed to talk to other people, too, to get other opinions about it. And in terms of that decision, it wasn't like I was quitting my job with nothing lined up. I had been running my business for almost three years at that point. It was making consistent money. It was actually making as much, if not more money than my nine to five every month. I had come off two weeks before an interview on Good Morning America. I had momentum. I had money in the bank. I had just hit my 100K, 100K at 25, which is the origin story of her first 100K. So literally I had every duck in a row that I possibly could. I had money in the bank. I had a proven business. I had momentum already. It was just me taking the leap. And I truly believe that the universe made that decision for me and kind of made my, my environment at the job I really loved very unstable because I think that that's what prompted me to make the decision to go out on my own. I don't know if I would have made it had the universe not made it for me. So yeah, I think that in terms of decision-making, you figure out who you, who you get advice from and, and especially who you need support from in different situations. But also, I, I'm not the kind of person who's necessarily recommending that, you know, if you have one path that has nothing going on in it, right, maybe that's not the path for you. For me, entrepreneurship, I had literally every single thing I could control ready to go. It was just stepping off the cliff and seeing in Indiana Jones, right, if there's an actual, if there's a bridge connecting to the other side. So, yeah, I think for me, it, it was a decision that uh, was scary at the time, of course, but I would make a thousand times over. Yeah, and I think a lot of times in those situations as well, like I'm sure in your head, you knew the answer, like you had everything mm -hmm. in line. You knew, mm -hmm. you just wanted mm -hmm. permission from someone to be like, yes, go yes. and do it. Because I feel no, like that's the hard, right. it's the hardest thing, isn't it? Because it's like, we know that oh, we could do that, but then it's like, if it goes wrong, then it's my fault because I made the decision. Whereas if someone mm -hmm. else was like, I think you should do it. <laughs> if it doesn't work, you could, it was almost like, nothing actually changes, but that psychological twist of, well, I can blame them for it, even though you'll never oh, blame them yeah. for it. It's yeah, it makes a really difference. Yeah, and I think to your point earlier, it's even beyond blame. It's just like 
I think some of us just need permission to, to, you know, to make either quote unquote, like a selfish decision or a risky decision. And for me, entrepreneurship was really not that risky. You know, again, I had all of those things lined up. I had money in the bank. I could also go back to corporate whenever I wanted. And that was actually the solace that I, I took in that decision of like, okay, if this doesn't work out, if it turns out I hate it, if I can't get clients, if I can't make money, I'll just go back to a nine to five. And then maybe I try it again. Maybe I'm done. Maybe it's like, nope, entrepreneurship actually isn't what I want. Um, and of course that didn't happen. I figured out that this is very much what I want. But um, yeah, I think a lot of us, especially women, I think we wait uh, or ask somebody else for permission to do something that feels good for us. And maybe it's, yeah, maybe it, it looks inherently, and I'm putting selfish in quotes, but selfish or it's not what everybody else is doing or it's not what you're supposed to do, right? Like I think of like traveling alone as a woman. Like I have just started in the last couple of years to feel comfortable doing things alone because I was told by society, oh, well, first of all, everybody's gonna be looking at you. And second of all, it's super unsafe. And obviously I'm not going into back alleys at 11 p.m. alone, but I am going out to dinner alone or I'm going to an art museum alone or I'm traveling to a safe place by myself. So I think that there's um, there's a lot of narratives that we're just told either by society or by our family or by you know, the systems of just, yeah, we, we are asking for permission to do something that it, that isn't normal. Um, but you have to ask yourself for, for permission, right? You're really the only person who can who can say yes or no to what you want. Yeah, and I think that word selfish is something that I think about all the time because I think it is such, it's seen as such a negative word. Whereas actually, right. if you think about what selfish is, it's just doing something for yourself. And I feel like sometimes that is the most important thing. You need to think like, what, like I need to think about my own life. I need to think about what's going to make my life better. And yeah. like, just do that sometimes. Like don't, ha don't worry about what everyone else is going to think about this. Don't worry about what the world's like thinking of you. Right. Just sometimes right. do the thing that's going to bring you more joy, bring you a better life because you've gone so far down the line, you've not made a single decision for yourself. Yeah. And I think that's where people start to have the regret and they start to, things build up in kind of relationships where they get bitter about things because they haven't made any choices for themselves. And I think looking after yourself is so important. Yeah. Um, have either of you read Untamed by Glennon Doyle? This book utterly changed my life. Um, and what she talks about is this like narrative of selfishness that especially women face. Um, and I am not a mother, but I, you know, from reading her experience, obviously knowing what a bit what it's like to be a mom, I think that that, that narrative, again, of selfishness gets really, really um, inked into every part of you being a woman, but especially being a mother of like, you have to stay in your marriage that you don't want to be in for the kids, right? Or you have to, again, you know, work a nine to five or, you know, have a stable job or get married or do these things because that's what society has told you to do. And it's actually, of course, not only doing yourself a huge disservice to not, as cheesy as it sounds, live your truth, but it's also everybody else can see that you're unhappy, right? So staying potentially in a relationship for, quote unquote, for the kids when you're unhappy and when you're not being able to show what a healthy relationship looks like or what a happy, healthy parent looks like, right? That's actually a huge disservice to your kids. Right. So even these 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 times where we're told, OK, you know, being selfish is is wrong. Right. Or you have to do something for something else, somebody else. Right. Or boundary setting. That's the perfect example, too, of like, you know, if I set this boundary that's honoring what I need, 
and it potentially harms our relationship, that's on you, right? Or you're, that's not giving this actual relationship the, the beauty and the truth that it needs in order to thrive. And so I think, yeah, this word selfishness, I think is really damaging because it's actually really beautiful to do what you need to do in order to show up better for people in your life or in order to show up better for your business or in order to show up better for yourself, right? And therefore you'll show up better for others. So, um, and again, as women, I think we've been taught literally from, from childhood that our value as human beings is in service of others, right? Boys, when they're growing up, are given trucks and Legos and these things to build and these like very, um, you know, self, uh, not centered, um, self-influenced activities, if that makes sense. Girls are given dolls. <laughs> We're given like easy bake ovens. We're told literally from, from two years old that our service is in being a wife, being a mother, being somebody who caretakes for somebody else. And that's something that is, you know, that I, myself as a woman and all of my friends who are female identifying have to constantly work through of like, Again, selfishness, choosing yourself in order to show up better for yourself and others is not a bad thing. Yeah. And looking at your content as well, it's, it's, we were talking recently on an episode, how important it is to say who your business and your work is for and really, yes. uh, really identifying that. And, and specifically you're making your, your business is all about female empowerment and financial feminism, I think you call it, um, mm -hmm. which is which is really interesting. And, and that's come about because you've, you've kind of spotted all of the, I guess we've been talking about them for years, but there's not really anyone been stepping up to go, okay, now that we're aware of a gender pay gap, here's what women can actually do about it to, to get themselves out of it. Well, I'll challenge that for a second too. I don't think it's necessarily on women to solve the gender pay gap that they themselves did not yeah. cause. Right. So yes, there's ways that we can teach women to negotiate their salaries, right? Or to, you know, learn how to level up in, in their careers, of course. But I think, and this is for me what financial feminism is, is how do we give resources to individuals while also acknowledging that none of this change really does anything until we have systemic change, right? So the wage gap is, I think, a very, the very small part of that is women not advocating for themselves at work. I think an even bigger part is that when women do, they also are seen, we were talking about selfish, selfish, ungrateful. They're seen as, you know, bossy or pushy, right? So a lot of times when women ask for the raise, they don't get it, right? And then they work at a company that doesn't offer paid family leave, that, you know, consistently underpays, underpays their female employees, um, because there's no real retribution if they don't, right? Or if they if they actually do pay them fairly. So I think that for me, my work is not just here's how to get ahead as an individual. Here's how to pay off debt. Here's how to save. Here's how to negotiate. But here is the system that we exist in that is not helping us in any way, right? A trillion dollar student debt crisis in the United States. Um, black and brown people, you know, of course, systemic racism coupled with uh, you know, uh, we talk about the wage gap for women. It's 78 cents to a man's dollar. It's even worse if you're a woman of color. Yes, again, a small part of that might be they're not negotiating their salaries, but are black and brown women even getting let in to the places where they could negotiate their salary, right? Or yes, diversity is important. I'm putting that in quotes, but how many of your C-suite level 
your VP executives are women, are black and brown people. So I think that that's what financial feminism, again, is for me, is it's like, okay, how do we use our own personal finances to better our lives and thus better the world? But also, how do we start talking about money in a more transparent way so we can start changing these systems that exist that don't, you know, uh, benefit minorities, whether that's women, people of color, LGBTQ members of that community, or, you know, disabled people, right? All of these marginalized groups are impacted by the fact that we are not talking about money, that money is taboo, and that the people who already have power and who already have money are the very people who are telling us to not talk about money. They don't want you guys to be winning. They don't want anyone that's been held down. They don't want them to have access to information to free up wealth, essentially, because, because, I mean, you were talking about risk earlier and it made me think like your your business has boomed during a pandemic when really having a nine to five for so many people has been really risky and actually going yep. out as an entrepreneur was the was the wise option if if you knew what you were doing. And so I suppose it's, it's through this education that there's very few people because it, I, I hate to use the word gatekeep, but like there's there's all of this information is so withheld because the people who are in their ivory towers don't want anyone else climbing up the walls. Um, it's 100% so, gatekeeping, yeah. And so I suppose what we need is we just need more fr- more information out there and people educating themselves um, and, and realising that all of the myths that have been passed down about education about money is not something that you need to worry about. We're not going to teach it in schools. This is all very scary and there's a lot of maths involved. It's probably going to confuse you. Don't think about it. And I guess neutralising those are going to be how like regular people are going to take more of the power back? Yes, 100%. Coupled with policy change, right? Coupled with laws that, you know, in the United States, paid family leave is not a requirement. We're one of the only, like, industrialized, again, putting industrialized in quotes, industrialized countries that does not offer paid family leave. Not just for for the other partner, but for the life-giving partner. Like, there's no paid family leave required. That's ludicrous. That's absolutely insane, right? And so I think, yes, we have to call out these narratives. Again, money is taboo. Don't talk about it. It's impolite. Or investing is not for women, so just don't bother, right? Or, yeah, the stock market's just for men and it's super intimidating. So, like, just don't worry about it, right? All of these narratives, I think we can combat that with transparent, radical conversations about money, with education, with safe spaces for minority groups to have these conversations. It also has to be coupled with some sort of of wider than individual kind of change. Taking it way back to, you always say you're so lucky that you had that foundation from that your parents gave you when you were young. Um, what kind of things were they teaching you from, like, what were they teaching you before seven that's kind of fundamentally that that's that's made you be different with money as you were growing up to some of your friends per se. And yeah. at what point did you start to notice that some of your friends were not as financially savvy as you were when you're all still really young? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, before seven, I don't know how, well, one was the like, if you want something, save for it, right? So we're not going into debt for it. We're not asking somebody else to pay for it, right? It was very much like, if you want this toy, cool, save up for it, right? Or if you want, um, yeah, you want to go to this concert, save up for it. Or even, you know, I I was seven, I was not making money. So maybe it was safe for half, right? Or something like that. So that was one thing. Really, what I really learned, especially as as, um, a child uh, before high school, 
from my parents is I saw how they manage money. And plenty of my clients have told me that their parents would say one thing, but then do another, right? So they would say, mm -hmm. don't overspend on credit cards, but then they would see them going crazy and swiping their card all the time, right? Or like spend, you know, spend money below your means, but then they would take these lavish vacations or they would buy brand new cars, right? My parents still drive a 98 Yukon that they bought, you know, in the late 90s. Uh, they still live in the same house I grew up in when they very easily could have upgraded. Um, they're frugal almost to a fault. Like, and so I saw that. I saw my parents make really smart financial choices. And I'm lucky enough and privileged enough where I never wanted for anything. I had food on the table, right? I went to good schools. That was, that was something that was really important. I was my parents' investment, really. That's where the majority of their money went, was to, was to me and my education and my piano lessons and my t-ball, you know, and, and all of that. But really, too, I think the, the incredible thing I saw was that they spent their money on things that they loved. So they saved a bunch of money and squirreled a lot of things away. But we also took a vacation every year right? Or we also went camping or, you know, we, I, that was really important to them was, was travel or experiences. And so as I grew up, I saw myself saving a lot of my money, but also thinking really thoughtfully about what I wanted to spend my money on and what was quote unquote, like worth it to me. So that's the method I actually teach now to my community is you don't have to stop spending money I don't, I don't need you to stop spending money. I don't need you to go on like a, through a financial diet. I just need you to stop spending money on things that you don't give a shit about, <laughs> right? Like I need you spending your hard-earned money in the places that are gonna bring you the most joy and figuring out what those things are. For me, yeah, I wear makeup and I wear clothes, but those two are not big for me. I would rather spend my money on a really good meal. I wanna go out, I'm a huge foodie. I wanna spend my money on really good fried chicken. Like that's my thing, right? Or I want to go travel. So yeah, I just came back from two months, two months abroad. And like that, that's where I want my money to go. So I think that that was one of the biggest things I learned from them just through them showing me as an, as an, a real life example of, uh, you know, we can save money and we can be financially responsible and we can also use our money right now to bring us joy and to create memories for our family. That's really interesting. You're saying that. So I was thinking about like my parents who separated when I was quite young, which is say like 26 years ago. And it's interesting now to be able to see, uh, like based on their two different approaches to life and money, where they've ended up after that kind of 26 years. Mm. And they're both now in very, very different places. And I think that's quite nice to observe, to be like, okay, which path is the right way to go? And I think sometimes it's nice to have that vision of, well, actually by doing this, this is going to end up in this kind of life. And they're now in two very different places. And I feel like I can kind of take bits of both of their lives that are kind of benefit it in a way. And I think this is where your content is so nice because it kind of gives you, you show what the future can look like by having different mindsets, which I think is yeah. something that we don't have often in life. And I think that's why your kind of content is so important because it shows you that actually by making these small little changes, you can dramatically impact your future. Yeah, I completely agree. I always say that money means choices, right? So especially for women, I, I give the examples of you can leave a toxic situation, whether that's a job or a relationship, because you're not financially dependent on it, right? I took a job a couple years ago um, that ended up being extremely toxic and I had to quit after like 10 weeks without another job lined up. And I was able to do that because I had an emergency fund. I was able to leave the job where I was crying myself to sleep at night 
and constantly in like so much fear that I was going to get fired because I had a horrible boss and I could leave and sustain myself until I found another job because I had money to do so. Right. Um, you can, like I said before, donate to causes you believe in. You can have kids or not have kids. You can get married uh, from, you know, uh, out of love and not out of, you know, you need to find somebody who has money to financially support you. You can also stay single for the rest of your life if you don't want to get married because you have your own money, right? You can retire early. You can start a business. Everything opens up to you when you have a financial foundation, when you have, you know, money in the bank. And so I've seen that in my own life, you know, the ability again, to start my own, start my own company, to now employ women, to give women jobs, to travel, to, you know, buy, buy meals for my, my friends when we go out. Like that feels so good to be able to put down my credit card and be like, nope, I got it. Like, that's so cool to be able to like, no, I'm buying you dinner. I appreciate your friendship. I'm buying you dinner. Like, that's so cool. Um, and so I've seen it in my own life. And then we get messages now, probably every 10 minutes from a woman somewhere in the world that our advice has made a difference for them. And so once you, once you become financially stable, once you become financially confident, everything opens up to you and you become just more inherently confident in every aspect of your life. Because again, like talking about relationships, like I don't have to stay in a relationship that doesn't value me both financially and because I, I feel so worthy. I feel so worthy of love and good things that I'm like, if you're going to bring toxicity in my life, I don't want it. I don't need it. So, you know, I can dump clients if I need to. I don't love doing that, right? That is a potential loss of income, but we have a bunch of other income streams and we have a stable business where if this client is, you know, undercharging or they're not showing up in the way we need them to, we can politely decline working with them in the future. So again, I think it's so powerful, the impact it can have. And I've seen it in my own life and I see it firsthand with our community members of uh, having the financial stability, having financial freedom means choices. And for people with this like small businesses or kind of creatives, is there anything you'd advise to them, especially to get started with kind of heading down a more positive money route? Is there any like things you see pop up quite regularly where people are making these similar mistakes? Yes. Um, one, have an emergency fund, both personally for yourself and if you can swing it for your business. Um, it should be like three to six months of living expenses in a savings account. Um, I recommend a high yield savings account in the United States. Um, but being able to know that you're taken care of should you know your car get a flat tire or should something happen in your house or a medical bill comes up, but also for your business knowing, yeah, if you don't have a great month that you're, you're going to be okay. So emergency funds are super important. Um, again, this sounds obvious, but like track everything, track every number track when you receive invoices, when you've billed them, how much they should be for, how much you have to pay in taxes. We have internally what we call the BS, which is the big spreadsheet. And we have all of the electronic systems that track this too. I still have a spreadsheet where we log all of this because I like seeing it in that format. And I like literally manually writing in, like, have we received this invoice? If so, at what time? And then how does that get divvied up? So track your numbers, know your numbers, know what you're making every quarter, every month, know what your expenses are. Um, and then the other thing, especially, I don't know necessarily how it works for, for folks outside of the United States, but for us as entrepreneurs, we typically, you pay like a quarterly tax, you pay sometimes a monthly tax, but then you have the federal taxes that pretty much only happen once a year and yeah. you have to save all your money for that. And I see a lot of early entrepreneurs 
think, oh, $10,000, cool, that's $10,000 for my business in my pocket. It's not. Of course, you have expenses. You also have taxes. And so I have had plenty of people uh, come to me and they're like, last year, uh, I went into debt trying to pay my taxes or I did not pay my taxes because I didn't save the money that I needed for that. So you can have a high yield savings account for your personal emergency fund, potential for your um, business emergency fund. And then you also should have another savings account where you just are squirreling away money for taxes. Um, so that's what I do every month is I sit down and say like, okay, roughly how much do I know I need to pay on you know past month's earnings and taxes? And then I put them in a savings account. So I'm not you know, shocked in April when I have this huge tax bill to pay. Yeah, I think that that kind of foresight is super important. Just working out, well, how much do I need to earn a month? And then working right. out what that is plus tax, because I think that's something that people don't think about ever. Um, and just setting it up can be super easy. And I think making sure that when it comes to your emergency fund as well, is making sure that that gets filled before you start being like, oh, I've got this extra money and now I can go out for dinner and do all these other things. Like, it's going to be a bit of like a, I, I, I can't remember what I saw one of your TikToks where it's basically like a you basically say to do this you need to do this and it's a bit like oh well, I don't I don't really want to do that you want to be rich uh, okay when well, then to be rich you have to be good with money you have to like learn about money and then it's like oh no yeah. it's like well you know I always say nothing changes in your life unless you change it which is not very poetic but like nothing changes in your life unless you change it um Again, this is like systemic issues too, but there isn't a magical get out of debt free button, right? Mm -hmm. There isn't like, I I have just ignored it long enough. Well, it will go away. It's not how this works, right? And same thing in your business. It's like, if I don't, if I keep blinders on and don't look at my numbers, they'll just work out. They won't, they won't. And you would advocate having the emergency fund even before you start, if you're in debt, even before you start getting yourself out of debt. Yep. So um, this is contrary to some financial experts, uh, Dave Ramsey, especially, who's like my least favorite person. Uh, but the big thing for me is I need you to have some sort of money in the bank, an emergency fund before you start paying off your debt. One, we don't want you going into more debt or debt at all, trying to pay for that emergency should it arise. And two, I find, especially with talking with, with clients and talking with community members, is it's so mentally nice just knowing that you're tucking yourself into bed at night going like, if something were to happen tomorrow, I'm fine. Right. So especially, I mean, the perfect example, unfortunately, is a year and a half global pandemic. Now, granted, I, I wouldn't have prepared a year and a half of emergency savings. I do think that's a little excessive, but like perfect example of why you need an emergency fund. Right. Even if that you only had three months, that would have been better than three months of going into debt, trying to pay for your rent or your mortgage and trying to pay for your groceries. Right. So um, I really do advocate for an emergency fund first, even if you have tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. Like, I really want you to have something in the bank, hopefully at least three months of living expenses before you move on to paying off your debt. And I think that three months as well is like when an emergency happens, you don't just sit there and let the bombs drop. You don't just think, um, like you then it's like, OK, well, this has happened. Now it's time for me to get ready for whatever's next. And I think with the pandemic as an example, those first few months were hard because everything you knew stopped. But then that was the time we all started to pivot or think of new things to do to adapt to the current world that we're in. So I think having that kind of three months there is so perfect because it allows you to re-strategize, it allows you to adjust what you're doing, find new clients, talk to your clients and work out, well, what can we do for you in the like going forward? Like we had that when the pandemic hit, one of our 
kind of biggest clients for the podcast who we did lots of talks with all the talks stopped so we were like uh shit um but then just went and spoke to them and said like well this is the world we're now in what can we do for this world and we kind of did another partnership with them based on things that were remote and it was like just that kind of little bit of time that allowed us to kind of not freak out because it's not like oh shit we've got literally nothing and we don't know what we're going to do next week having that kind of like little bit of backup was so important yeah it gives you a little bit of time to like get the lay of the land right and i think uh, very classically about yeah if you're working like a nine to five right and maybe you get laid off or you get fired right you get the like two weeks or three weeks to process that right and maybe mm. even more time if you need it and then you have two months to to spruce up your resume to go on interviews and to hopefully land a job right so i think that yeah that's a great that's a great point is that um having even more flexibility than like a month or you know a thousand dollars gives you that time to to pivot if you need to pivot to process if you need to process and then get back out there with a lot of our listeners, they are freelance and their their income is going to vary month to month. Um, so, I mean, what, what I found works for me is I put myself onto a wage so that I know exactly how much to expect each month. And then I'm able to go, okay, this month, this much is going to savings, this much is going into bills. And so I, I know what to expect. Um, I don't know if you think that's a good idea or a bad idea, but that's just the way um, I manage it just day like uh, month to month not knowing exactly how much you're going to make each month nope that's perfect that's that's what i recommend and automate as much as possible so um you can automate your savings you can set up okay i want five percent of every invoice or i want five hundred dollars once a month to go into my savings account or to go into my investment account or to go to paying off my debt right so you can automate uh, the, the vast majority of that you know of those moving parts so you can make it really easy on yourself um, it's also psychologically better to automate because you won't think about it. So money's just getting saved without you having to consciously do it. So I find that that's really helpful. And yeah, I think with freelancing, it's a lot of, you know, anticipating. And again, if you know your numbers really well and know your business, most people are able to do this of saying, okay, it's November now. I know roughly how much I'm going to make in February, right? And roughly how much I'm going to make mm -hmm. in March. So being able to say, okay, December holidays, I'm probably not going to be working as much, right? So I know I'm not going to make as much and it might be more costly because I'm traveling or I'm buying gifts, right? So like December is going to be really expensive, but I know I'll re recoup those costs in February. So I'm going to save the money in November, spend less, stretch it to December, right? And then February is going to be right on track again or even more money, right? So you can kind of anticipate that and, you know, either either have money, some have some money in reserves in order for you to sustain yourself or just be able to plan ahead, just knowing, okay, this month isn't going to be great. So I'm going to make these certain decisions in my business to, to make sure I'm okay. I feel like having that percentage leave your account straight away as well, as soon as you get paid, it doesn't feel like, I, I, I feel resentment when I have to get rid of that money later, if I've sat and looked <laughs> mm -hmm. at it for 10 minutes. It's like, right. it's much better that if, if, so for me, it's like I set all my direct debits to come out on the same day. Uh, I know every bill is going to get paid at the same time because rather than me sit on this cash that I've got to give away, I'm just like, take it away. And then I don't have to look at it. And what I've, then what I get paid is, is it's a smaller amount than it would have been, but that's, that's, that's mine then. And I can do whatever I want with that number. It, that's literally, I teach a budgeting method and you basically described it, I think, without knowing it. But yeah, if you <laughs> automate, if you automate everything, 
then the money that's left over in your account after expenses is your money. You could spend it on whatever you want, right? And people think about the word budgeting, right? As like, oh, it's deprivation and it's awful and it's tracking every penny and it doesn't have to be. It's literally just like, take care of future you, almost like paying a bill, right? It's almost like, okay, this amount of money goes to my savings account. This amount of money goes to my investment account. This amount of money goes to paying off debt if I have it, right? So think of it that way of, okay, I'm just sending out bills, right? Just like my electric bill or just like my rent, I'm sending bills to future me to to take care of myself or to take care of past me if it was debt, right? And then I pay my necessary expenses, both my business and personal expenses. Any money left over in my account, I get to buy weird owl tickets and get to buy plants and I get to buy, you know, throw pillows and I get to have fancy, like whatever you want to buy, right? Whatever shit you want to buy. So I think that it doesn't have to be that intimidating. You don't have to track every penny. I don't track every penny about my, no, not even close, not even close. But I know that if there's money left over in the account, cool, I get to spend that on whatever I want. And hopefully again, to, to, to round back, you're spending that money thoughtfully and in a way that gives yeah. you the most joy, right? That returns on investment. The investment being, you just worked this amount of hours for this money. Hopefully now you're spending it on the things that you love. Like if, if a daily coffee brings you joy, great, buy the coffee. Like if you want to do that, amazing, do it, right? That might mean you can't afford something else, but that's okay because you love this thing, right? Again, for me, clothes, makeup, I don't buy a lot of coffee. That's not something that I love. But I do, I do love a good meal. I do love traveling. I do like buying a plant all the time. I like buying plants all the time. So for me, that's where the majority of my money goes. Yeah, that reminds me of, I've not read it in absolutely ages, but I feel like in Rich Dad, Poor Dad, they kind of have that kind of mentality. Well, what is important to me and what are things I want to have in my life? Because like the coffee is an example, or kind of the clothes and makeup, if that is important to you or the traveling, then make sure that, that is something that you care for and have first and then the other little things if there is leftovers can come later yeah um rich dad poor dad it's great advice um he is problematic to me in a lot of ways so i don't necessarily recommend him um he has come out against uh the black lives matter movement last year has just had some very problematic things to say so he's not the kind of person i recommend but i do do think he has a lot of great advice and yeah it is very much focused on how do I how do I use my money in a really again a thoughtful way to be able to give both future me and present me a really good life right and I think a lot of financial experts it's like don't spend your money ever and you should not you know you should, you should not be going to de- into debt for anything and you need to just save all your money and that's frankly miserable and I hate it and that's not what I do um, I'm also like you can't spend all of your money there has to be a balance there but. The, the idea of, yeah, squirreling away all your money so future you can enjoy it eventually. It's like, okay, then what am I living for right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. and that's not sustainable. Again, I was telling, like, talking about the diet example. If you tell me, Tori, you need to go on a diet and you can't have fried chicken, guess what? Psychologically, I'm just going to want fried chicken, right? Or if you tell me, okay, you can't have this, we literally know that our brains will then go, okay, well, I want it and I want more of it, right? So, you have to allow yourself, again, spend money. That's not a bad thing. Actually, all money will be spent eventually, even the money you save, right? It might just be spent in a couple of years to buy a house, or it might be spent next year on vacation, or it might be spent 65-year-old you gets to go to Cabo and flirt with her much younger Pilates instructor named Luca. That's my real-life retirement plan. So, you know, it will be spent at some point. It just might not be spent today. Um, and then make sure you do have stuff set aside to spend today 
because it's not sustainable to think, okay, I'm going to live on oatmeal and ramen for the rest of my life. That's just, that's not sustainable. I think as well as you're talking there, it's like, we're obviously talking about money here, but like, I feel like time is a very important thing that we can touch upon there as well, because it's like, you get so many people who are working jobs, like ridiculous hours for 30 years in the idea that they can retire early or something. And it's like, well, you've just wasted a huge portion of your life there. Yes, you might be able to retire early then, but then what did you do with the time that you had earlier on? Yeah, and a lot of this, again, is coupled with the systemic issues of some people will never actually be able to afford to retire. Um, Again, I know a lot of the United States statistics, but almost half, 45% of Americans over the age of 55 have nothing saved for retirement. Nothing, not $1,000, nothing. And that's, you read a stat like that and you're like, Jesus fucking Christ, right? It's not just about personal choices. It's, it's about systemic issues too. Um, but yeah, that's, I think why millennials and Gen Z were feeling this, this huge shift towards how can I retire early, right? Or how can I start my own business in order to pick my own hours? Or how can I have flexibility in how and where and why I work? Um, and I think that's directly related to the fact that we have seen so much uh, turmoil, both financially and socially, you know, 9-11, the economic crash of 2008, Occupy Wall Street 2012, Trump getting elected and the resurgence of that in 2016, uh, you know, the, the global pandemic, right? So we have all of these things that have happened in our recent memory, um, you know, and, and I'm on the younger side of millennials. I was born in 94. Gen Z, I think, is 96. So I'm like right on the cusp. But yeah, actually, I was in second grade when 9-11 happened. I was you know conscious enough and I still remember that. And so I think when you grow up and you just watch repeated financial and social chaos, your natural response is, how can I avoid that? Right. How can I avoid working for 35 years at a job I hate that could lay me off or fire me at any time, or you know, my my investments could, you know, collapse just before I'm about to retire, right? So when you've seen that your entire life, seen that from your parents or seen that from your older siblings, or maybe even gone through it yourself if you're an older millennial, um, I think everybody's natural response is, okay, how do I avoid that uh, just to survive, right? And yeah, so I think entrepreneurship, a lot of online side hustling, a lot of, uh, yeah, how do, I, how do I become financially independent before 40? We're seeing all of these, these narratives crop up, especially in the last like five years or so. Um, and I don't, I don't think that's accidental. I don't think that's random. Um, and yeah, that's part of, that was part of my motivation too, is I don't want to make somebody uh, I don't respect rich or richer. Mm-hmm. I don't want to work for a company I don't believe in. I don't want to work at an organization that tells me, oh, you can only take off 10 days a year. Like, I didn't want that. Um, and yeah, I saw my dad, who again, made really smart choices in order to provide for me and his family. Um, and I, of course, like, I'm so thankful for that. I also think to myself, like, how, how can I create potentially a different life where I could be an entrepreneur? It pains me every all the time to think about the fact that my dad, who was so entrepreneurial, has never actually gotten to be his own boss and never gotten to do that. But he, he, I was his investment, right? I was, I was the person he worked really hard for so that I could, it's going to make me teary, but so that I could be an entrepreneur, so that I could work when I want and be able to build something for myself. So um, 
I don't know if that's answered your question. I think I'm off on a tangent now, but thinking about, yeah, these, these, this, this resurgence of, uh, uh, or not even resurgence, but this, um, this new idea, of course, that like the, the working 40 hours or 40 hours a week for 40 years, at a job I hate. I don't think, I don't think anybody wants that, but I think with new generations, we're figuring out or trying to figure out ways to avoid it. When we first started our, our first business, we all of our friends were like going off and do it going the corporate route and we were take mm. we were doing this this kind of risky business and it took us a long time to to get successful and it took us a long time to get to the stage where we were even taking a wage or or like paying ourselves anything yeah. that was was barely decent. And so on at, at that point it felt like you you could easily be mistaken into thinking that you made the wrong decision because the physical items that 20 year olds are interested in we're watching our friends do as they're climbing up the corporate ladder and they're getting pay rises and i think typically people spend what they earn so these guys like a lot of our friends are making more cash than us they're spending that cash which is very visible in front of us. If we were to go out with them, like they would buy a round of drinks, which we would not be able to afford to do, et cetera, et cetera. Clothes, like everything was clearly on show. But now that we're 11, 12, like we started our first business in 2010. And I think, and Adam, I don't know if you'll agree, but like I would not go back in time and swap with them for (laughs) anything. Like the past 10 years and, and those times where we were really struggling, like those are some of the best times that we look back on and just re- with real fondness of of like love that we came from that love that we were like scraping and clawing and eating noodles. It was like that's that was the time that made us that turned us into who we are now. Yeah, well, and I think that um, that potential or that temporary discomfort, right? You had a a why behind it. So when I talk about like oatmeal and ramen life, like I'm talking about how that's not sustainable long term, and we know psychologically it's not, but. I think a lot of people are willing to do that for a period of time if it means payoff later, right? Yeah. And again, I'm not, I'm not, this is a complete, this is a privilege to be able to do that. And I want to, I want to fully acknowledge that, right? It's a privilege to be able to say, oh, I'm going to cut my expenses for a period of time in order to start my business. Some people live like this every single day and they don't have a choice, right? So there is a difference there, right? There is a difference between, you know, making a certain amount of money and spending all of it, you know, that's a different financial financial standing than the person who doesn't even make enough money to you know afford their bills yeah. or has no money left over, right? So we are talking about I think two different or you know we have to acknowledge that there's two different things here. But I do think if you're in the place where you have your eye on the prize, right? For me, it was like, okay, I want to have enough money in the bank where I can feel confident quitting. So yes, I still traveled, I still went out to eat. But I was always thinking to myself, okay, if I have this thing right now, it means I might not hit my goal as soon as I want. And sometimes the answer was, yeah, I'm going to buy this thing anyway because I really want it or because it's really going to bring me joy. And sometimes the answer was like, nope, I want entrepreneurship more. I, I want to be able to quit and run my own thing more than I want. I don't know, but pick, pick a random thing that costs a hundred bucks or whatever. Right. So I think mm-hmm. that that temporary discomfort sometimes financially if you have a very specific goal or mission is, is a way to get you there faster. Right. But make sure if you're going to do that, that you do have a goal in mind or else you're going to look back and be like, that was for nothing. Right. So I think for you, David, where you're like, Oh, I'm really glad you did that. You're glad you did it because it worked out really well. Right. You had a mission, you had a why behind it. 
I think, um, yeah, if, if you're sacrificing a bunch of stuff for no purpose or no reason, yeah, it's not going to feel worth it. Right. And again, with all uh, acknowledging all the privilege in that statement of some people don't have the luxury to do that. Um, but yeah, I think, I think, to, you know, your point about entrepreneurship is, is like, is a risk, right? It is. Um, it is a, it's a really big risk to go out on your own and to not have the stability and to not be able to ball out at a, at a club all the time. Right. And you hope that it pays off eventually. And for me, it did, you know, I didn't make money in my business really for the first three years. I was running it as a side hustle. Um, mm -hmm. and you know, biding my time. And I had everybody asking me like, when are you going to quit your job? And I'm like, I'm not ready to quit my job yet. Like it's not, it's not <laughs> ready. And it's also like, I feel like nine to fives also kind of get a bad rep. Um, my nine to five was my first investment. I've never took, took, hey, ooh, I've never taken VC funding. I've never, I've never gotten a loan from my business. My nine to five was my investment because it gave me enough money to be able to, you know, live and save even a little bit. And then I could, you know, kill certain parts of my business that work, weren't, I could kill certain parts of my business that weren't working without fear that I wouldn't be able to pay my bills. I wasn't dependent on my business before it was ready to sustain me. So uh, that worked for me for a really long time. And then when it wasn't working anymore and when I had all my ducks in a row, I was ready. And yeah, I look back on those times and I was like, God, it was so hard being at like 4,000 Instagram followers and wondering why nobody wanted to follow me, even though I was creating content every day, right? Well, now I'm a multi, multi-million dollar business owner who, yeah, gives, gives jobs to women and who loves what I do and who sees impact literally every day in, in our work. And so, yeah, it's 100% worth it. But when you're going through it, it's hard. It doesn't necessarily feel worth it in the moment, but you always have your why. You have your, you have your reason you're doing it. I mean, you, you mentioned uh, social media there. You've, uh, yeah, we, we all started at zero. Uh, you're now in the, in the several millions when it comes to, yeah. uh, to social media. I see a lot of content from specifically millennials and Gen Z who are almost like giving up the the dream of ever like owning a house or mm, uh, yeah. having. Um, and what would you say to them or perhaps the, the creative freelancer who would love the idea of being able to save 100K, but it, it would just seem impossible because that that I think that's why I'm seeing this content is because it just it just doesn't seem like a thing that we're ever going to be able to do looking at how the boomers have like fucked everything up for everyone. yeah <laughs> um I'm gonna be honest with you I don't know if I have an answer because it really my answer is again I'm gonna sound like a broken record take a shot every time I say it but like it it is not just enough to be working hard Right. But it's the narrative, especially in the United States, that gets, you know, the it's literally called the American dream. Right. The if you just work hard enough, everything will work out for you. And that's not true. Mm. It's not true. And I think releasing yourself of that pressure can be really helpful. And that's a that's a lifelong journey. But being able to release yourself of the the weight you might feel of I am working hard. Why am I not doing better? Because you're in a system that unfortunately was not designed for you to do better. Yeah, for sure. That's horrible. It's awful, right? But I, as an individual, am not going to be able to solve that. I'm doing my best to try to solve it. I'm doing my best to try to to make this a, a more flexible, you know, uh, inclusive world that we all live in. But um, I'm not going to solve that <laughs> by myself, and especially not like by tomorrow. So I think one of the other things we were talking about this earlier about like creating the life that you want. I I had to really get honest with myself. Of um, do I actually want to buy a home? Or is it, again, just like this narrative that's been sold to me as success? Yeah. 
right? Do I actually want to have kids as a woman or am I just told that that's my responsibility to be a mother, right? Do I actually, you know, you can, you can play this game all over, right? It's like, is this something I actually want? If so, amazing, right? Or is this something that I've just been told is a measurement of success or something that I should want? Um, and if it is something you do want, I mean, all you can do, right, is, is again, work to change the system that is, that is not helping any of us, but also, you know, working to, to save money and working to manage your money as best as you can and, um, you know, invest your money, pay off your debt, you know, save your emergency funds. Um, for me, numbers are, are not intimidating. They're, they're an exciting challenge. And part of like tracking your numbers as an entrepreneur, or as a freelancer is a really exciting way to be like, okay, I made $4,500 so far this month. Maybe I can get to 5,000. Like, let's see what I can do. Right. And it gamifies it in a weird way. And that's something that actually motivates me a lot is like, okay, you know, uh, for me, these numbers are bigger, but like, okay, I'm, I'm coming to 9,000, $9,000 a month. What do I have to do to get 10,000? You know, do I pitch another client? Do I, you know, put my products on sale? Do I, you know, bring another team member on temporarily to help me boost sales? Right. So that can actually be a really exciting thing is if you, you know, have a better relationship with your numbers where they don't feel intimidating, where instead they actually give you, um, a lot of really good knowledge to transform your business or to, to make strategic decisions. So, um, yeah, I don't know if I have a, I, I don't have the answer for you, but I will say that on an individual level, all you can do is try to make good choices with your money. Um, learn from, learn from decisions that weren't so great, spend money on things that you love, sock away money where you can. Um, and, and always be comfortable or get comfortable being uncomfortable with your money. It will be uncomfortable for a while to look at your numbers. It will be uncomfortable to check how much student debt you have. Like that will be uncomfortable, but you you get out of your comfort zone and that's where things start to happen for you. So at an individual level, I think that, I think that that's the best answer I can give. I think that the gamifying thing is something that me and David definitely relate to a lot. Like basically our business model to start with was just Pokemon. And like how you have your little Pokemon and you have to train them up and you have to kind of like get to certain levels every time oh, to I be able to that. beat that next gym badge. And then you kind of progress from there. And I think that's the important thing. And I think there's <laughs> there's so many games have brilliant worlds where you are you start at a low level, you'll go off into a certain direction and you'll get absolutely obliterated by something that's just colossal. And you're like, right. OK, that's not the way to go yet. I'm going to be there at some point later. But for now, I'm going to go this path where it doesn't feel like I'm growing very fast and it feels like a long way until I'm going to beat that massive thing that killed me earlier but it's going to be this slow grind that gets there and I think what you said there about kind of having that idea of okay well, this is how much you earn this month how can I get just like a little bit more next month it's not like how am I going to triple this because realistically no. people don't just triple and triple and triple otherwise everyone would be multi-billionaires within right. the space of a short period of time your 100k is also not going to happen next week right your first 100K, 100k whether that's debt paid off saved invested earned in your business you know if you're at 30,000 yeah it's probably not happening next week right and releasing yourself of that pressure I think is really helpful well we are big fans of yours. We think you're doing a great job. Um, thank, thank you so you. much for doing the show. Could you let our listeners know where they can uh, find you online? Thank you for having me. This is one of my favorite conversations. This was really fun. 
Um, I am at her first 100K on all the socials, H-E-R-F-I-R-S-T, 100K. I also host the Financial Feminist Podcast, which is available on Spotify and Apple. Um, but my primary communities <laughs> on social media are TikTok and Instagram. So I would love to come uh, see you and come say hi. Amazing. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much. Thank you.